Two Tribes is a two-part documentary series for RTE looking at the history of Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil and their roots in the Irish Civil War and how an intense rivalry gave way eventually to a coalition government. Now we bring you extended interviews with participants in the series. Charlie McCreevy was Minister for Social Welfare and for Finance before becoming EU Commissioner. His parents held different political loyalties. I wasn't born into politics, but I was effectively born into Fianna Fáil. Uh, my, my mother was a lot younger than my father. My father was an active member of Fine Gael, may even have worn the blue shirt, but uh, my mother came from this red, roaring, mad Fianna Fáil Republican family. She was the youngest of 10, and her older brothers had been in the War of Independence and the Civil War. And since my father died when I was four and a half, I never heard anything else except about, about De Valera and Fianna Fáil. I remember for years afterwards when elections would come about, my mother was a very gregarious type individual, as people would have known her, and a very bit of a character. But when it came near elections, a kind of viciousness, if that's the appropriate word, appeared in her. And uh, she'd remind people of what they did in the Civil War in particular. Uh, so therefore there was a... And my, my father was a lot older than my mother when they got married, of course, but uh, uh, I often wonder myself uh, as to what politics it would have been, if any, if, if he had lived. Uh, I think his view would have been that you're better off staying out of politics. Uh, but he was an active member of Fine Gael, and as I said earlier, he may even have been a member of the Blue Shirts in the 30s, but I'm not certain about that. You were elected in 1977. How did that come about? How did you uh, end up on the ticket? Did you always want to be? Yes, I always wanted to be, but uh, let anyone, if anyone tells you in life that luck doesn't play a part, uh, don't believe them. Uh, no matter what attitude like, you might be the most brilliant journalist, you'd be the most brilliant possible politician, you'd be the most brilliant in anything. But unless you have a little slice of luck, uh, you won't succeed. That's what I've always thought. And my election is a bit like that. Now, the re reality was having been selected as a candidate when I shouldn't have been because I was too close to Paddy Power, the outgoing field of Fall TD. I shouldn't have been selected at all because it's right beside them. But I did it in any event. was allowed to stay on the ticket for more sense. If you if I remember Seamus Brennan meeting me, oh, I didn't know very well. And I know he was under pressure to take me off the ticket. But I ran in 77 when the big swing came about. You were a young accountant then. Uh, were you a big believer in the 1977 manifesto? Or the I, didn't, I didn't believe a word of it. Uh, and uh, I, I thought it was, uh, I didn't, it didn't, I remember the day it was announced and I went home and I read it up and, and it all came in the post. I said, I said, sure, we'll never implement that. And, um, but we did. And uh, it helped, I, it helped get, get all Fianna Fáil the massive vote, I suppose. But there was a change, uh, there was a change brewing in any event. The outgoing government of Fine Gael and Labour had, had a very difficult time in a whole variety of areas. They had the oil crisis to deal with, there was high inflation, that all these particular things. So the climate was there for a change. And Jack Lynch was a really, really popular leader uh, at that particular time. So we ended up, Fianna Fáil won 84 seats to 64 for all others, uh, which has never been repeated since. And it was in that majority lay the seeds of Jack Lynch's downfall because you, were a lot of, you had a lot of people who were starting to worry after a couple of years as to whether they would maintain their seats, perhaps you among them. But you hitched your wagon, the Charlie Hawhey star. Yeah, well, it wasn't with the star Charlie Hawhey. You see, a lot of us, I uh, mean, included, were very, very uh, obsessed about the 1970 arms trial. I would have been in that side of the equation. Fianna Fáil was very split in 1970 as a result of the 
arms crisis. Like it was a very split party all over the country. Not, uh, and so it was in my county as well. Now, I was not a member in 1970. I was still a student in UCD. I became the secretary of the Fianna Fáil Comunicale in October 71 or thereabouts. So I was there, but my sympathies would have been at that particular time to the people like Hawhey and Blaney and I know hesitation. And so therefore they came. So a lot, I, of, the, a lot I, of TDs elected to that in 77, like my, I can name a whole lot of, were of that sympathetic view to the Hawhey thing. He didn't have to come chasing people like me was going to vote for him. I was going to vote for him in any event if he went for the leadership. Why were you sympathetic to Charlie Hawhey at that based, stage? Based, as I said, on what happened in 1970. You see, people look at this back at this, that particular period uh, in a very different atmosphere that was around, around then. It was a very febrile atmosphere in the 19, late 60s into the 70s. The trouble started in the north. And you must remember we in Fianna Fáil in particular had been always talking about, say, the Fort Greenfield. And therefore, and here overnight were our people, as we would term it, being shot and murdered and burnt out of their houses in Northern Ireland. And we were sitting down here in the south. So there was a very, very febrile atmosphere here in the south. But Charles Hawhey denied any involvement in a plot to bring in guns. I think that was done for totally political reasons. I think uh, history in the present history looks back in that particular period uh, in a different light about how, how, how his involvement and that of Blaney and those people. Like, I can readily understand the difficult situation that Jack Lynch as Taoiseach, a leader of the party, was in at that particular time. But uh, I was always, my views, my views, my simplistic views about nationalism stroke republicanism Republicanism has evolved over the years and it's very different now than it would have been in the 60s when I was a student and into the 70s and even into the 80s. I've evolved, but my view of the arms issue in 1970 has never changed. I've always believed then, subsequently and now, is that Hawhey and those people were more sinned against than they were the sinners. What about the actual contest? Because it was a, a bitterly fought out contest, even though it took place over very few days, I think only two days or thereabouts, between, between Charles Hawhey and, and George Colley. Now, were the Hawhey uh, campaigners, were the Hawhey side better prepared? Over the years from 77 to 79, um, uh, Charlie Hawhey didn't say, go out explicitly and say, ask uh, different TDs to vote for him. But he always made himself available uh, to all the backbench TDs. Uh, plus the fact he had a brilliant private secretary, a civil servant neighbour, Brendan O'Donnell, who should, his, his very seldom mentioned about the rise of Charlie Hyde leadership of Fianna Fáil, but should be, because he was a great private secretary and had great backups. So Charlie Hyde was always available to the backbenchers and uh, any events that were held in the Department of Health or Social whatever, he'd always invite, say, backbenchers to what he was about. There was the latent thing from the arms crisis. There was Charlie Hawhey's availability, and a lot of us were restless, and a lot of us, like, hadn't... I suppose one reason you could say a lot of us hadn't enough else to do. And we, there was this big group of backbench TDs, and they were going to congregate around, and, you, and Hawhey was the person. So therefore, in that sense, they were better prepared. And the other side, when it came to the two-day uh, election, like, some of the... You know, their can George Colley, who was an exceptionally decent, honourable, upright person, and became a very, very good friend of mine uh, for years afterwards. Like, uh, uh, they hadn't... They, they, they weren't... He wasn't known. 
say, to all these new TDs that came in in 77. They didn't know him. And they, they knew how he, and they knew how he stood for. And what happened then in, in 79 was we had a rerun of the, of the, of the fight between Hawhey and Collie that should have taken place in 1966 when Jack became the uh, Taoiseach because at that stage, Charlie Hawhey was going to go, George Collie was going to go, and the elders of the party convinced Jack Lynch against Lynch's uh, own, own temperament and didn't want the job. They convinced Vince Jack Lynch in order not to have a split in the party, that, uh, that uh, he'd go forward. There was a lot of turmoil in between times. I oh, mean, yes, there were desperate. the three heaves in the 80s, in the early 80s. You were in the thick of that. Well, I was the man who had the first one. Uh, so, uh, like, it went back to the previous... That was October 82. Um, so if we, re if we went back to after the, fre the uh, previous... Um, election in the previous February, when there was going to be a challenge for the, who was going to be put forward as Taoiseach, whether it was going to be O'Malley or Collie, whatever the, you, you, you probably referred to that early in other interviews, and then that didn't take place. And then I put down the motion of confidence in Charlie Hoy in October 82, which led to the formation of the first club of 22. And then it was followed by two, uh, two Heaves, if you call it afterwards. One was a bit of a non-entity, the other was a kind of more serious one, uh, but he still won. And after that one formed, uh, after that became, uh, uh, they, they, things settled down after the formation of the Progressive Democrats. Yeah, uh, that was another three years later, I suppose. I just want to quote to you something from Des O'Malley's memoir. I don't know if you've read it yourself. I've uh, read the memoir, no. Yeah, uh, Conduct Unbecoming, and we know where that phrase came from. But he said... Uh, in October 1982, I was on ministerial business with Board Falch in Spain when I heard that Charlie McCreevy had tabled a motion of no confidence. The news reached me in the middle of the night. McCreevy was one of the new TDs in 77 who had backed Hawhey, but his enthusiasm waned after witnessing Hawhey's performance as party leader. And Taoiseach, the timing of the motion was terrible. I was furious with McCreevy for acting as he did. He was on a solo run and hadn't consulted anybody what was most galling was that he knew that planning for a leadership challenge was underway. We had agreed what needed to be done. Unlike the previous February, we were going to move in a planned and coordinated way. McCreevy breached that agreement. It was a self-indulgent act that I've never understood. Well, he did there's more. Well, well, that's not correct, the letter half, but anyway. The difficulty the previous time in the February 82 election is these people on that side wouldn't be able to make up their mind if they were there yet. They didn't. They, they, they were going to challenge in February '82 and didn't do it. And the next occasion, I remember leaving that meeting that time. I said the next case, I'm going to do it myself. And it's not true to say is that a few people didn't know. A good few people knew, including George Colley, by the way. But there were swore to secrecy. They swore to secrecy. You couldn't because these other these people would never ever get off the pot. They never went. They, they never. They, 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 they'd be always thinking about and talking about and do other things anyway. And this, I had no con I had no discussions with Des O'Malley ever about having a leadership well, here because Des, Des would fundamentally be of the view uh, that like these are not good things to be doing in any event. Yeah, he says Hawhey was increasingly vulnerable at the time, but we needed, we needed another fortnight to be sure of a majority in the parliamentary party. As news of McCreevy's action was relayed to me by phone, 
I felt physically sick. Well, the point is that I, I think Des, I'm not, I would like to be, speak ill of the dead or anything like that, but he's using, the, he's making that, these comments that with the benefit of hindsight. Des had no intention in the wide earthy world of engaging in any particular motion and no confidence of taking out Charlie High. Uh, there were, there were, like, and when he's also wrong and kept secret to the many years, there were, were a few people, including the late George Colley, who knew all about it but uh, he didn't, uh, he never spilled the beans. You tabled the motion of no confidence and then Mr. Howe, he came out swinging, I think famously on a, in an RTE interview. Correct. He said he would insist, he would insist on it being a roll call vote. And I think that might have shocked a few of the uh, would-be plotters. It, it, it frightened the living lights out of most of them, you see, because the parties, in the, 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 the delegations or the common members in East Cassidy were totally split, but most of them were on the side of Charlie High. So those that were thinking of voting for, uh, for, for the motion, uh, all those, the activists and all the common members got together in hall meetings and frightened the living lights out of uh, all, most of the TDs that you were hoping to But I didn't care in any event. I, I didn't care who was going to be anyway. I, I was voting. I, I, I was going to table the motion, and I was going through with it. Yeah, and it was. I mean, there was fairly rough scenes. There were fairly rough scenes in the in the doll and its environments thereafter. Then me included in them. Yes. Uh, did you get a thump? I didn't get the thump because it was well. They showed the television a lot of walking out, but I was well protected by the uh, guard, the guardie, and the uh, security people in the house. But actually, the late Jim Gibbons got a real thump. Uh, so, so there were thumps of things, but things like it was a very God. It was a, it was a, it was a, it was a great like people. All these people were allowed into the environs of the doll with uh, with plenty of drink on them. Some of them, and uh, things were very hot. hot but at the meeting and then after the meeting, but the, that was the nature thing. But the brilliance of how he was anyway. If you find in another when we came to this second or third vote, I have to look it up. Anyway, he had uh, he had a, a secret vote. Because at that particular, the one that he won uh, by the secret vote, if it had been an open call vote, he would have lost. Because people would have been ashamed to be seen to be voting for him. This, this was after the phone tapping. And then in that period in opposition, uh, the Anglo-Irish Agreement was brought forward. Desamali was thrown out for abstaining on a vote to widen the availability of contraceptives. And the Progressive Democrats were formed. Did they expect that you would join them? I don't, I'm not necessarily sure about that particular issue. See, what had gone on in the previous year, there's been a, a number of meetings about the formation of a new party. Uh, Harney was involved, I was involved, uh, Des O'Malley was involved, said Michael McDougall was involved, all those particular people. But then that ran aground in about, I'd say, I look back, notes at the time, which I kept, uh, around October. Uh, of that particular year, and the idea was abandoned. And it was agreed among many of the participants at that particular time that we'd never speak about it again, even if something came about for years later. And that was the agreement by most of the people involved at that time. There were other people involved, which I won't name. Uh, so uh, so there, that was happening. And then, over Christmas of that particular year, Mary Harney, uh, uh, I think Des has admitted this himself for his family have browbeat Des into forming the new party and it started then. But I had made up my mind, uh, having experienced what had gone on in the previous year and done a bit of work and about the new, a new party, is that, is that these people, I wasn't going to be joining a new party because I didn't have confidence that these people had the guts to, to, to do, you know, to, to form it, and they were a bit wishy-washy. I exclude Mary Harney from all of that. She'd go through a wall 
uh, and, and as you say, how he got back as Taoiseach, minority government 87, it was working well, but there was a, an election called needlessly in 89. It led to Fianna Fáil losing a few seats. Progressive Democrats went from 14 seats to six. But the six seats for the PDs, the 77 for Fianna Fáil, took them across the threshold for a majority, but it wasn't easily assembled. Neither Des O'Malley or Charlie Hawley wouldn't had no inclination in the wide earthly world of forming a coalition. And so therefore, uh, I, on account of my friendships with Mary Harney in particular, went about kind of said, we may recognise this, this is what things should be done. Mary, the job to convince Des uh, and myself to help uh, get Charlie Hawley's mind. In Charlie Hawley's side, anyway, the, the, like, the non-coalition uh, had been elevated to a core principle. We had fought many elections, me included in 77, 81, standing on platforms all over Kildare and other places saying, if you don't have this, you don't have Fianna Fáil majority, you're going to have a coalition, as if coalition was a bad word. It was, it was a political tactic, but some people thought it was a political principle. Mr. Hawley had a Fianna Fáil backbenchers uh, and, and, his, and his front bench in particular, more so than the back bench, uh, who were dead against this. Now, they would, and, and party members in constituencies who would be dead against it as well. So what O'Malley did was brave enough bringing the PDs into government with Charlie Hoy, with, with his, his nemesis, Charlie Hoy. It was a bigger issue for Charlie Hoy the triade to go against the grassroots of the Fianna Fáil party, which had got him there in the first place. It helped him get him there in the first place, go against all of his front bench, bar a few. You must remember, I know I, a lot of dealings, I had dealings every second day with Mr. Hawley, either here in Dublin or out in, his, uh, out in, uh, in Kinsealy. Like, we talked about lots of things for hours and hours and walked around the place about the other. But he actually never in the end went to the front bench and got permission from them, because he knew he wouldn't get it. And he did it. He did. He 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 did. He did. He did it. And it was a, it was a real brave thing. But it was the right thing to do. You know, like 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 so, that was. It was the right thing for the country. It was the right thing for everybody because coalitions are, for us, representatives are designed to give coalitions. Are designed to give uh, uh, an arrangement uh, that you have. You will not have a majority. Presumably, if he didn't get it through the front bench, he did get it through the parliamentary party. He didn't, he never proposed to a vote. Uh, he actually never proposed the parliamentary party agreed because backbenchers in all parties, what do backbenchers want least? An election. Like, the only fellas that ever want an election is usually the opposition front bench. When there was normal front benches like Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, because they see themselves getting into power. Like, they, they, in a, in a, and the old people, they, they, when you hear politicians going on Sean O'Rourke's show or anyone else saying, the people don't want an election. That's not the people. If you had five elections in six months, they would go out and vote. Like it's it's politicians that don't want elections because why? Would you like to go before the people every few days uh, when, when your job would be on the line? You would not. No one else would either. So that government was formed. Uh, you say it was as hard for Charles Howe to go into harder. that coalition. Harder. Harder for Charles Howe to go into that coalition than it was for O'Malley, but. How could they have done it, though? I mean, bearing in mind all the history that was there, going back especially to 1970 and the arms crisis, and then the heaves, and throw O'Malley being thrown out. But, but, but that's why I say it was, it was an exceptionally brave thing for both of them. And by the way, you can check this, people, I was not a member of that government, but Hawhey and O'Malley conducted themselves brilliantly. 
They had mutual respect. The, the, the business was done. There was no sniping or anything. He did everything above the board. Both Des and Charlie did it because they did the right thing. And when, written, when the things are written about hockey, that's never written about uh, on, on, on the plus side. Albert Reynolds ended up as Taoiseach, as leader of Fianna Fáil and Taoiseach. Um, I think that was the first time you went into the Cabinet yeah, as Minister well, for Social Welfare, was it? I, I never served as a... a, a as a junior minister or anything, and he made it was he changed, he switched a whole lot of ministers, and he brought by step from Brian Cowan off the back benches. Uh, we could say, and which was funny enough because uh, Brian and I had been in the same room for the previous eight years, we were very close friends, so we came into cabinet together, and then Brian succeeded me as minister for finance, etc., etc. So, uh, so I came in that time. It was quite a bloodbath, though, when it came to dealing with the previous cabinet. It was in the sense, but those people that like they had had, had a long innings. Like, you know, and you don't have a God-given right uh, to any of these positions. Uh, the people elect you, the people can withdraw their support, elect somebody else. The leader of the day uh, can select who he wants to be on his front bench or in his cabinet. I never had any issue with Charlie Hoy. Uh, I, spent nearly, I spent nearly 15 years on the back benches, and at that time, there were many reshuffles in government and in opposition, and I never was the assistant to the assistant of the other assistant. So therefore, uh, when Albert came along, he promoted many people. He put myself and Brian off the back benches. And uh, then the, the second half of my political career was more or less in government. Albert was not too happy with the way that the coalition was negotiated. Uh, he referred to it at one stage, I think, in a speech in Cork, as a, 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 to it as being a temporary little arrangement. Brian Cowan, in a warm-up uh, for Albert at an Ardesh, said, look, if in doubt, leave them out, referring to the PDs. Did he make much of an effort at all to keep that government together? Well, there were two very strong personalities that didn't like one another, both O'Malley and, and, and Albert. Uh, Albert was a very, very straight operator. Uh, like, I often used to describe Albert, if, if Albert sold you a car and, uh, you, you, and you paid a thousand euro for it, anyway, and, uh, and the bottom fell out of the car the next day, you had a deal with Albert, you paid him a thousand, that's your hard luck. If, on the other hand, you found gold bars in the car that were worth a million, it was a deal, well, you, you, you could have the benefit of that. Now, when the difficulty there was, like there was the difficulty of the 89, when the Charlie High, we had to deal with the PDs, Charlie High did that more or less without the support of his front bench, without any support from his front bench, anyway, who didn't want it in any event, he did it. There was history and not just Sean in life. Some people just don't like one another. But there was so, history. So there, there was a there was a particular issue between Reynolds and. Well, and I'm going, going to come to that. And it was involved. Well, I was I was very close to Albert all the time, uh, and so was Michael Smith, for example. And when O'Malley, when Des went down to the tribunal, uh, the Goodman Beef Tribunal uh, episode, he said very harsh words about. Albert Reynolds, more or less implied that Albert wasn't, you know, it was, uh, you know, it was, wasn't, a, it didn't use the word dishonest. It used the word reckless. Reckless, anyway. And I remember Michael Smith, uh, we were very close, saying, Jesus Christ, our man, when he goes down there, he ain't going to let that go, knowing Albert. And if I was he here for the last, talking every night to Albert, I knew when he went down there, he was going to uh, he was going to balance that up, and that's what he did. And the word he used was dishonest. He went down there, and that allowed then the PDs to leave the government. And uh, 
that's what happened. And then we had the, uh, uh, what could we do? Uh, he did it. Uh, with Albert, I tell you this about Albert Reynolds. If Albert Reynolds knew that that word was going to bring down the government, he still would have used it. Well, Adrian that's, when he, that's, when he, that's the type of individual he was. He was a most straight dealer. He was just straight up, this is what you're going to get, right or wrong, and he was going to do it. So they were, I, I like, you, you have to admire a person like that too. Adrian Hardiman gave him every opportunity, as he does O'Malley's counsel, to, to withdraw, to right. modify. Albert just stood by that word. And he could be there yet. And knowing what happened since Albert lost the job, and he'd still do it. And that's uh, uh, like, like he's, he was that type of person. And then after an election, you found yourselves in government with the, the Labour Party. How did yeah, that go? That was actually a very good government. Uh, that, that was a pleasure to be a member of that government. Business was done very efficiently and well. Uh, I've said this previously, there was only one downside to it, and that was the efficiency of the government, which was more or less brought about by the good, good idea of having programme managers. Now, you must remember, I never appointed a programme manager when I was Minister for Finance, but I was for the concept. And I thought it worked, I worked very well with, 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 with the Labour, but it made things very efficient, and things with cabinets were very efficient and everything else, but it lacked one thing. The best thing about having a cabinet of all different ideas, you have rows and disagreements with people, and then you make up and you have, a, you have coalitions with them in other situations. I mean, coalitions of minds rather than uh, to do with uh, politics. And with the so efficiency, that type of rapport did not build up in being a member of the government. How long did it take before you realised there was needle between Dick Spring and Albert Reynolds? Well, I was in the awkward position is that I'm a friend of Dick Spring outside of politics uh, before, uh, for reasons not connected to political life at all, and like him a lot as an individual and everything else. But Dick, Dick I'm not offending him now, I say, Dick is the exceptionally prickly individual. Uh, like, like, and he had a programme manager that if, if, if Dick was a prickly, he was going to be a prickly for him. Uh, so we had a, uh, uh, we had that difficulty the whole time, and then like the, the rapport and between Albert and Dick was not it was not there, and it was only a matter of time. And uh, you see, Dick's problem was I speaking out for the Labour Party. Dick's problem was is that going into government with free the fall, is that some of his closest people did not want it. Like, and he, 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 he was being badgered on both sides from the day he, before he went in. Like, some of his closest people didn't want coalition with Fianna Fáil. You must remember the coalition in, with Fianna Fáil after the, the 92 election was just come out of the blue. No one expected it. Everyone expected it to be a coalition of Fianna Gael and thing. And there was a famous speech between John Bruton and Dick in the Shelburne Hotel. And nothing came of it. And like, I think, think Dick more or less told him he wasn't going into government with them at the time. And, and they fell into government with us. But these, some of his close advisors were against that. Whereas people like Michael D and Brendan Howell and, and Rory Quinn were for that, of going into government was the right thing. So Dick, so Dick then was in government with us. And he had these people on the outside anyway, waiting for an excuse to say, oh, I told you you couldn't be going go to government with these chancers. You know, they may be helped by the Irish media, of course, who believe all free the fall people are chancers. Uh, so they were, this went on anyway. So the big opportunity came along and uh, uh, of the father, Brendan Smith, the father, that no one understands to this day how that government fell, including myself, and I was involved with all of that particular well, thing. The first trouble that sort of, you know, flared maybe openly was when, uh, I think during the summer recess, the Beef Tribunal report landed in the Taoiseach's office 
Albert huddled with some of his advisors, keeping Spring and his people out and not informed, and quickly put out the, the line that, they had, that Albert had been vindicated. The receipt of the beef tribunal was very badly handled on our side. Uh, at that particular stage, I was Minister for Tourism and Trade, so, uh, so I, was one, I was the person who should have got, the, uh, would have got a copy of the report. But it was given to government buildings, and then Fergus Finley turned up, and apparently he claims that he didn't get was locked out, wherever the case would be. Anyway, Albert made the statement, you know, like uh, picking up bits of the thing, the vindication. That started, that then upset the uh, Labour Party even more. And uh, I, I could understand uh, why Dick would have been uh, vexed at that particular thing. But that we, we got over that particular problem, but that festered. The, the, that was not something that was well handled at all and was a mistake how we handled it. And then there was the appointment of the Attorney General, Harry Whelan, to the presidency of the High Court. That brought the government down. Now, unfortunately or fortunately, I was, in, I was leading a trade mission to South Africa at that particular time when that happened. And uh, Michael Smith uh, was in, still in Cork because we'd had a by-election in Cork and M M Michael had stayed on in Cork and no, neither of us were at the cabinet meeting. The late Mervyn Taylor uh, said pu publicly that he, he would have guessed afterwards that if McCreevy and Smith had been there, maybe it wouldn't have brought down the government. I don't know if that's true or not, but I was in, the, I was in, the, I was in South Africa, I wasn't there at a particular day. But I'll tell you a little funny incident about that. Yeah. I remember my private secretary coming to me at the wind-up uh, event that we had for the trade mission in this big hotel in, in South Africa and standing there and my private secretary said that uh, would we ever take a phone call from, uh, from uh, my colleague, the Minister for Justice, Maura Gaten Quinn. So I went up, I went up I think South Africa is two hours ahead. Uh, so I went up to my room to take and pretend to come back down to the event, which I never did. And uh, I put the call through to, to, teach, uh, to the government buildings and uh, uh, I think Declan Ingus we answered the phone and he said, oh yeah, the minister's just looking for you. Uh, and she said, Charlie, she says, Mark is on the phone. She said, Charlie said, I want to give you a bit of news. He said, I'm sitting here in the department of the Taoiseach. We're after voting ourselves out of a government and we're on our way to our Sanuktuan to appoint Harry Whelan. I think, I think you should know that the government is wrecked. I remember our, uh, our words, our more colourful words to that effect. Let's put it like that. So I remember that well, and I didn't go back to the meeting. Uh, so it, 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 the, 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 that event brought down the government. Actually, the Brennan Smith affair started it anyway, and then we kind of patched it up in the following week. Myself and Noel Dempsey, we got Dick to sign the agreement at 10.22 a.m. I remember all night, uh, a lot of work was put into that between myself, Noel, Pat Magner, Brennan Howland, and uh, we got Dick to sign anyway. And then before we come out with the doll, I was down the doll, uh, this other issue about, I forget. Uh, uh, yes, the, the, the other particular case, the Duggan or something raised his head. And so maybe we, like that wrecked it all together. And then Albert had to step down as leader and Bertie became the leader. And the show was heading back on the road again. Yes. Until? Until that, the, the, until that particular other case resurrected itself, which I'm not clear to this day as to what was the... Uh, and neither is anybody else for that matter. But it brought, it brought down the government and uh, what they changed, the, the, the numbers had changed, of course, in the, as a result of the by-election in Dublin, South Central, where Eric Byrne, I think, got re-elected with the Democratic left. 
and uh, it had made the numbers uh, stack up for uh, Democratic left, Fine Gael and Labour. Now, I, that was in the back. But I don't, to be fair to uh, Dick Spring in particular, uh, I think at that particular stage, he'd had enough of the badgering from the sides of telling this, these get away from these three and the fall lads. The numbers happened to stack up and he just threw, I think he more or less threw his hat at it. Very influential people at that time on their side would have been Fergus Finlay, who wouldn't have wanted to be in government with this uh, ever. And I'd say that, I, I always felt that they kind of said through his hat at that. He'd gone through enough, I think, with the whole lot and went with it. And we, we went into opposition, Bertie became leader and now you know the rest. Yeah, Bertie came in as leader, as you say, uh, had the prize of the Taoiseach's office snatched from him, uh, but then spent several years or a few years building up the party. And you got back into power. He was uh, the first Fianna Fáil leader after de Valera to win three elections in a row. Um, you famously said you knew 20, you knew Bertie Hearn about 25%, which is 24% more than anybody else. What made you say that? Well, I'd, I'd say the... Uh, Bertie's the most unusual character in this particular regard. You must remember when he contested the nomination in 1994 after Albert going, he, I actually proposed Maura Gagan Quinn against him. Now, Maura at the meeting then withdrew when Bertie was uh, uh, elected unanimously. I remember Bertie ringing me up as Minister for Tours asking for my vote. And I remember saying, Bertha can't vote for yourself because I'm actually going to propose Maura Gagan Quinn against you. I said, that's grand. He pointed me to the front bench immediately, Maura to the front bench position as well. I was front bench in opposition and finance and I was Minister for Finance for the rest of my time in, in, in Irish politics. So that would be a bit unusual for people to do a fellow like that. Like, and then I became European Commissioner and Bertie appointed me to that as well. So Bertie is not a man to hold any particular grudges. And due to, we, weren't, we got close enough in government when it was in the social welfare, it was in tourism and trade, and then as Minister for Finance, we were very close. And I think the secret of our relationship was that, A, I never aspired to having his job. Uh, that was, and he knew that, and it wasn't just saying that, he knew that I didn't. And secondly, anyway, the secret was, most people didn't suspect they were very good friends, particularly the media and a lot of other politicians as well, which was very helpful in doing business because, uh, because most things we discussed together, political and otherwise, and that was a help to be able but to keep it going. When it came to drawing up your budgets, I, I know Pat Leahy, who was a very well-informed uh, uh, writer, political editor of the Irish Times, wrote in his book Showtime that you played your cards very close to your chest as finance minister, particularly when it came to budget measures. But what about revealing your intentions to your Taoiseach? Oh, well, Bertie, see, that was the great secret, Bertie. Well, I, like, there was nothing that I didn't... I would have informed Bertie of any of the major things that was going to do. But it often suited the great Bert uh, to say, well, if it was a big success, <laughs> like, we're all part of that, right? Along there, and it was a bit of a failure. Uh, anyway, so sure, I, didn't, I didn't know what he was going to do. That is not correct. Uh, uh, as I, cabinet minister, proved this for as long as anyone can remember, uh, budget decisions about a month or six weeks before the budget. There's a cabinet decision authorizing the minister for finance to make budget decision in consultation with the Taoiseach and the tarnished if there was a, a, a if another party in government and you can make the decision and then inform the cabinet and the thing on taxation measures, uh, spending measures are somewhat different. You can deal with it. But there was a different time. Uh, I, I look, the only job I ever really wanted to do was Minister for Finance. I'd be a long time thinking about 
while my political career, I made up my mind I wasn't going to have everybody and uh, everybody and Tom, Dick and Harry knowing about what was going to be in the budget or anything else for that matter. And that suited me, it suited the officials of the Department of Finance who in previous, uh, uh, previous governments had, last, had seen something different. Was the government, when you, when you were Minister for Finance and you had the PDs as, as, as partners and support from without as well, was that essentially a government driven or a cabinet driven by a Essentially, a PD outlook because you were the you were the other PD in the room in terms of your attitude. Well, there's, there's, there's no secret is that the, my views on economic policy, etc., etc., would be very much aligned with Mary Harney and the PDs, and Mary Harney, and not only Mary Harney, but people like Des when he was there. Michael McDougall and other people as well. But I think people should go back and look at the Feed the Fall Manifesto in 1997. Uh, I said what I was going to do in taxation measures then. I said I was going to reduce the top rate of tax to 40. I tell you, the standard rate for 26 or 20, and I did. I think the people were surprised that we actually did that. And by the way, I've noticed nobody has changed, there are many governments in between and nobody has changed these particular rates. So it was all there. As dramatically, you halved capital gains tax. Yes, 40 to 20%. And brought, we brought in more in one year, incorporated capital gains tax that was collected cumulatively in the previous 23. So no regrets about that. It was the best. It, it, like the, the figures, and for years afterwards, the figures were ex exponential. It like I am a believer, as you probably know, uh, not very popular. I'm a believer is letting people make their own decisions about things, create the wealth, and then you have a, you have a pot of money and you distribute it as best you can, and you encourage more people to get on more and more and more. You encourage people to work. You encourage people to work harder. You, you encourage people to make their own decisions. I'm not a believer in the big state approach. It's not, I've always been that view. And I come from a background that, that for, for where my mother was dependent somewhat on the widow's pension. I must be the only guy that ever went to UCD on a state contributing widow's pension. And like, I, I, I make, I, I, like, the, well, I believe in incentivizing people and that's, I've always had the same philosophy. Why then would you speak disparagingly of what you would have described as the poverty industry? Well, there was, the, uh, look, there's an, there are an awful lot of people who are well-meaning in that particular area, but there are some people in the, on that particular, it's a whole business with them. Like, there are institutions and bodies set up that at that particular Do you want to time, name a few of them? Uh, well, I, the laws, I, I'm, I'm still conscious of the laws of defamation and libel in the country, and I've no intention at this late stage of my life to getting into difficulties there. But you can work it out for yourself. Well... A lot, of, a lot of attention was drawn to the fact that no sooner had you left the country for the European Commission than Father Sean Healy uh, was invited down to address the Fianna Fáil uh, autumn thinking in Inchidoni and that was seen as making a big statement about the party. Well, the word you would use now would be pivoting. Yes, it was, and it was. Yeah, and it wasn't there, by the way. I was still a member. I was still actually a, a member of the cabinet at that particular stage. We hadn't, I didn't, hadn't, didn't step down to 29th of September, 2004, and that was early in September. I, I, I found a good excuse to go to Europe in, in, in uh, that particular time. I wasn't going to be there in any event. Uh, but uh, like, uh, I, I look, that was, that was. I, I can understand uh, politically why that was done. It was the time we used to remember the Fianna Fáil advisors. The late Jerry Hickey being the main word, and a great, Jerry was a lovely fellow, Jerry, and a great advisor to Bertie. His focus was on what he would deem to be the best interest of the party, electorally, and the best interest for his Taoiseach, 
Bertie Ahern. And uh, uh, that's what he decided, those people decided to do. And there, and there was a grounds, there was a number of people in the Fianna Fáil party that would, that would have liked that particular approach and to pivot, as you rightly said. Could you have stayed on as finance minister if you had wanted to? Yes, of course. Like, Bertie, uh, to be fair, to be, like, Bertie has been very unjustly treated, uh, if that's the word, in, in, in the whole thing of me becoming a European commissioner. Bertie Hearn never, ever, ever did, did we have a dispute. Never, ever, ever did he suggest. He said to me, I, I'd, I'd said to him in the previous September that it was one I was thinking of going to the European Commission. I, I'd made up my mind before the 2002 election. The 2002 election was my last election. Uh, I, I promised my wife that that was going to be the case, and that was going to be the case. So then I, had a, then I was trying to work out how I was going to do this. And uh, the previous September, uh, I discussed with Bertie that I might, uh, I'd like, to, I, 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 maybe give me first shot at doing the job. He said, if you want a job, you can have it. And then in earlier, after Christmas that year, uh, I said to him, uh, I, I was thinking of family reasons and everything, I don't think I'll do that, this particular stage, so whatever you think yourself. And then when the June, July period came along anyway, it was under pressure from Europe because most other countries had nominated their commissioner. And he rang me over there and said, Charlie, you're going to have to make up your mind about this. I said, I'll let you know tomorrow. And I did, and that was it. You suggested a little earlier that uh, the media regard Fianna Fáil as, as basically a bunch of chancers. I mean, is, is that this sort of, uh, like, is something that you say jocosely, or do you think there's, there's that sort of cachet about Fianna Fáil? That well, I'm not too sure in 2022 where the media feel that way about Fianna Fáil now, but definitely for all of my political uh, time, from the 60 on, 60s onwards, that was generally the message that was portrayed by the Irish media. Uh, I, I, I think you, you look, you're a student of history yourself and, uh, and you're a journalist for many, many, many years. And I'm sure that would be the perception among a whole lot of the journalistic fraternity in Dublin. Not now in recent years, I suggest under uh, since 20, maybe 10 onwards, since Michal Mars leader, that is no longer, I think, I, I, the, 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 the perception, but definitely was for nearly all of my political career. But your critics, and I'm thinking particularly of somebody like Pat Rabbit, I mean, the shorthand for Fianna Fáil and shady dealings, the Galway tent said everything that they needed to say. Well, that, that is, that is like, like, Pat comes from a very strong Fine Gael background, right? He's bred like that. He's anti-Fianna Fáil. He's a friend of mine. He's, he's bred like that. He's like me saying, like, like... Well, I, leave Pat Rabbit out of it, but that was something that was seen and was used as... Yeah, and well, Brian Cowan got rid of it. No, it was used, it was used, it, it was used by the opposition and the media to portray Free the Fall in that particular light. Because, yes, over the years, we had uh, a lot of people uh, had joined us over the over generations from different backgrounds, and people in the building industry were more, uh, were, were well disposed to us. It was a fundraising event that was thought up by uh, people at Fianna Fáil HQ, and that's what it was. Like, I remember the biggest difficulty we had every year going to Galway Race were all the journalists that wanted to be invited to the bloody thing. You know, they wanted to be inside there drinking the free, having the free drink and the food and everything else. Like, 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 and then they went out and wrote all about it. You know, anyway, like, like oh, it was a big drinking session. Um, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, they're now in coalition government together. What do you make of that? Well, it was, it was the logical and correct thing to do after the last election. Like, it was the, like, they, 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 well, they, like they, they had the numbers between them. Uh, there was very little difference in their outlook, and they come from the same Route 3, 
uh, if, if you go back that far to the War of Independence and what ensued after the War of Independence. So therefore, it was the logical thing to do. It was hard for grassroots Fine Gael people to accept that. I'm sure it was hard for hard grassroots Fine Gael supporters to accept that as well. But what, like in Germany, for example, the two biggest parties for years are the, uh, the Christian Democrats and the Socialists. They've had grand coalitions, plenty of them. 